Regardless if you are a teen, open, or master's athlete, if you don't have muscle-ups, you aren't qualifying for a high-level event. And that is, of course, unless the way that online qualifiers are currently scored changes dramatically, which I do not see happening in the foreseeable future. So in other words, you could be placing in the top 0.1% in your division in four out of five of the workouts, which would make you pretty elite in the majority of the workouts, almost all of them. And if you can't do a muscle up, then you accumulate so many points which isn't a bad thing, that you'd be out of contention to even be able to qualify for a spot. So this is why muscle-ups, or one of the reasons why muscle-ups are such a source of pain for a lot of athletes. Um, And really, they just keep them from getting to their goals. So let's fix that. Today, I want to talk about developing muscle-ups. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver training-related content to people just like you. The site features in-depth articles, movement breakdowns, and our online training program, The Protocol. And I offer one-on-one remote coaching for fitness athletes. So I hope you check it out. Head over to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. See you there. And welcome back to my rant on developing muscle-ups. So I want to take us through three parts today. Part one is just going to be developing strength. Uh, Part two is going to be developing technique. And then part three is going to be developing capacity, let's call it. So developing strength. I guess the first question would be how strong is strong enough for muscle-ups? So on the site, I have two different movement breakdowns, one for the ring muscle-up, one for the bar muscle-up. Basically for both, I recommend three things. Um, Having a two-minute dead hang, so just literally hanging from a pull-up bar or a set of rings for two minutes. Having five strict pull-ups, so chin over bar pull-ups consecutive without any kipping, and five strict dips parallel dips for bar muscle up, ring dips for the ring muscle up. So if you have those, that's not saying that you're like, oh yeah, you're strong enough or if you attempt muscle ups, you're going to get it right away. That's not what that means at all. Rather, it's saying that you have enough strength where it's now safe for you to actually go through a muscle up progression. And over the course of, you know, two to three months, like eight to 12 weeks, maybe of actually working through a set of progressions that you might actually yield a muscle up during that time. So those are like sort of the minimum requirements. If you don't have those, then it's not really worth your time or energy um, spent on skill practice to actually try to get a muscle up just because you're not strong enough yet and you really need to spend more time getting strong. So to put this in perspective, I've heard a few different things in terms of like just a, a baseline strength level that you need. I think five strict pull-ups and five strict dips are things that I've heard of before. And I think also work well from the information that I've gathered, but I've also heard upwards of 40% of your body weight in external load for a strict pull-up and a parallel dip. So in other words, I'm a 190 pound male. So 40% of that would be 76 pounds, which would be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 35 kilos. So in other words, I have to be able to do a pull-up, a strict pull-up with 75-ish pounds strapped to me outside of my body. And if I can do that with both a pull-up and a dip, then I'm going to be strong enough to do a muscle-up. Let's take this the other way. If you're maybe a 130-pound female, if we take that person, 40% of their body weight is still 52 pounds, which again is very close to 24 kilos. So 
Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of weight for those people. If I had an athlete and I saw them and witnessed them do like that 40% for a strict uh, pull up and dip, I would be willing to bet that I could get them to do a muscle up in a session or two sessions of work. Just because like at that point, you don't have to have super clean technique because you can muscle up, like like literally muscle your way over top of the rings of the bar. And with some very rudimentary skill, you can get over top. So, I mean, I think this is useful for us just to like thinking about developing the muscle up, like being stronger is super important. It's something that while it's super basic, it's often still overlooked and it's the the foundation that you have to rely on. And people who are doing big strings of unbroken sets, this is something that you have to be able to have that requisite strength, be able to maintain some level of joint integrity as you're you know, moving through kipping reps of this as well. However, Stronger is better. However, lighter is also better. If we're talking about 40% of your body weight and external load, if that's going to be our standard, then if you are stronger relative to your body weight or you weigh less, then the way you get around that rule, so to speak, is by weighing less. It's strength to body weight ratio here or power to body weight ratio that really matters more so than just raw strength. So you could be someone who's super strong and you could be strong with maybe a barbell or external load or squatting or a whole bunch of other patterns. But if you're not strong moving your own body weight through space, um, which is a different skill, then this still could be an issue. Just because someone's strong in one thing doesn't necessarily mean that they're strong in something else. Like I know a lot of people who can squat and deadlift a lot, but they can't do big sets of muscle ups because it's fundamentally different as external load versus your own body weight. So let's just say as someone who could do a weighted pull up and a weighted dip with maybe 20 to 25% of their body weight, which I still think would be pretty good. Like I'd be pretty happy with that. Feel very comfortable having them go through muscle up progressions, trying to get their first muscle ups, even if they're maybe not quite that 40% standard, which I think that one's probably a bit high, but again, it's something to aim for no doubt. So let's say someone has that, then they should certainly be able to learn to do a muscle up fairly quickly. But now I would say there's definitely some more, let's just call it asterisks that we'd have to place on them, right? So for example, um, you're going to learn this fairly quickly, provided that your mobility isn't awful. Like if you have a super tight chest or your overhead mobility is garbage and you can't hit a good arch position um, and your positions just aren't good and you're, again, maybe even it's just that you can't tolerate the volume that you need to for building up in progressions just because your joints become irritated really easily. All of that stuff could affect this. So another asterisk could be like, okay, we have to make sure that you can actually do some of the basic elements of the skill, right? So making sure that you actually mount in the correct way. So like how you get onto the rings or onto the bar and that you actually are hitting some of the rudimentary positions of hollow and arch in the correct sequences. And it just has to be a little bit cleaner if you don't have that, let's just call it 40% of your external or 40% in external load of your body weight. So I also think that there's probably some strength qualities that aren't accounted for here. And what I mean by that is some things that you need to do to be able to do a ring muscle up in a kipping fashion and to be able to do them in multiple reps and do them well in the sport or a bar muscle up with the same things. And to have those qualities and be good at that is not the same as doing strict pull-ups and strict dips. So they're different movements. Obviously, they carry over well because that's our metric that we're using to measure for this, have the rudimentary strength that you need. However, some specifics that you don't have in those elements or maybe aren't tested for in those elements that you need to be good at ring muscle-ups or bar muscle-ups. So let's go over some of these qualities that maybe aren't accounted for. The first one is straight arm pulling strength. Next would be strength speed. Then we have turnover strength. And then lastly, ring instability. 
So for each of these, I want to kind of go back through, explain them a little bit more, and then go over some examples of maybe accessory work that we could incorporate to help improve these specific metrics. So the first one just being straight arm pulling strength. So in other words, you taking your arm from like a dead hang and being able to close down your shoulder joint using your lat. So this is something that you have to be able to do in the bar muscle up, especially and it's relevant and even like a kipping chest to bar or a kipping toes to bar where you're pushing yourself back behind the plane of the bar and you're closing down the shoulder joint to a degree when you're going actually up over top of the bar you have to just do it for so much longer and be patient and at the same time aggressive while you're doing that and a lot of people just don't have that ability to be able to close down the shoulder joint well using their lats so they're so used to bending their arms when they do uh, even strict pull-ups or kipping pull-ups that they just don't have the strength and the capability and the patience and strength to go back behind the bar like that and to close down the shoulder joint. So a few of my favorites to work on this, and this is something that I think probably across the board would be helpful if people incorporated it. Things like banded lat rows. So attaching a band to a pull-up bar, starting with that directly out in front of you, and then you're pulling your hands by your sides, closing down the shoulder joint, activating the lats, keeping the arms straight the whole time. Things like hanging lat activations where you're hanging from the bar, closing down the shoulder joint. You might only move a foot. You're doing that max effort, squeezing it, contracting that isometric and then relaxing. And then you're pulsing through that several times. And then that's the exercise. It's an activation. We could be doing things like overhead planks where you're maybe like kneeling and go out in like an inchworm fashion where your hands are over top of your head. And you have to be able to incorporate and tie in the lat with that overhead position, open shoulder. Things like barbell rollouts or like even like ab wheel rollouts are super helpful as well. It's just a matter of keeping that arm straight, being able to support yourself, tying in through the core as you're doing that. Next is strength speed. So specifically what I'm talking about here is the speed at which you're moving through the range of motion. If we're talking about a max strict pull-up or a max dip, it doesn't matter. It's not like relative to speed. Like you don't have to move quicker to get through the range. In fact, you'll be moving really slow as you do those lifts. With a muscle-up, in order to be successful at a muscle-up, you have to, especially a kipping muscle-up, like if you can do it strict, obviously you can go a little bit slower then. But if you're doing one kipping, especially if you're not using a false grip and especially for the bar muscle-up, then you have to be able to move through that range of motion relatively quickly. So you can't just move through really slowly and hope to get over top. You have to move with a certain amount of speed. So that's why I would call it strength speed. That's like the continuum. Um, it's not all the way to absolute strength and it's certainly not speed, but we have this blend of strength speed in the middle. So we can think about how we're going to develop this. We can basically do things where we're lifting maybe sub-maximal loads, but we're doing them as fast as possible. So for example, maybe someone has 10 strict pull-ups and instead of actually having them just do more strict pull-ups at that same cadence, maybe I could have them do a banded strict pull-up and then them trying to move through that range as quickly as they possibly can or moving through dips and moving as quickly as they can and not going to failure, not going to super high fatigue, but rather trying to actually close down the joint or move through that range of motion really quickly. My personal favorite of mine is ski erg sprints at a relatively low damper and full rest. So in other words, maybe it's like every 90 seconds, a 10 second uh, skier sprint at like a damper of three or four for a fairly strong person can get a pretty good stimulus. If you think about what the action that's happening at the shoulder and tying in through the core, it's actually pretty similar to a muscle up where you are having a bit of 
pulling, a bit of pushing, right? It's like this odd combination of pull and push where your arms are straight a lot of the time, but you are moving through between a pull and a push. That's one of my personal favorites. If we go to turnover strength, just doing chest to bar and actually getting a full range rather than just doing chin over bar pull up. So a lot of people just have a really hard time with that last three or four inches. And that's what really prevents them from being able to express their strength is that they don't have control of sort of that middle turnover zone where they're good at maybe pull ups. They're good at dips, but they don't go super deep on their dips and they don't go super high with their pull ups where they might be going to like chest to bar or something like that. So they don't really have control of maybe that eight inches or like 10 to 15 centimeters of middle range. That can be as simple as working chest to bars instead of working chin over bars, working really deep dips where you're trying to go down through and between the rings rather than touching your top of your shoulder to the ring. Um, it can be ring rows where you're pausing at your chest. It can be low ring transition drills, again, where you're really working the middle of that movement and continually pressing down on the rings the entire time through that middle range where it's awkward for a lot of people. And then we can do some specialty drills, like things like Russian dips where you're on boxes. And again, you're actually moving your lower arm through the ranges that we need to actually be able to turn over aggressively um, in a muscle up. And these are all things that just help develop that middle zone. We can probably just call that turnover strength. And then the last thing is ring instability. So rings are one of those things that is quite different for a lot of people that is not intuitive and that just takes some time to develop because they're naturally instable. They're not connected to one another. And part of it is too, that your body weight is actually supported above the rings to a greater degree. It's not like you're hanging below them, which is inherently more stable. As soon as you put more and more of your body weight above the rings, they get less and less stable. My favorite two would just be dip and support holds. So basically just holding yourself in a static isometric position for the bottom of the ring dip and the support of the ring dip. Things like front lever ring holds where it's actually very close to the ground and you're in like a push-up position and you're just stabilizing the rings and working on being able to either hold the bottom of a dip and be supported there or to you know, go all the way up to support with a locked out elbow and be able to support there. One of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that the bicep contributes a lot to stability when the elbow is actually locked out. So one of the things that people really notice with stuff like FLR holds, the front lever ring holds, is that as soon as they lock out their elbow fully, their bicep actually kicks on to help protect their elbow at that end range because they don't necessarily have all that stability. So there's a lot of little things like that, that if you don't really know all the nuances or you haven't spent time developing, that just spending time on the rings like that is super helpful. So that would be my main thoughts on developing strength. I think oftentimes we make this more complicated than it needs to be. I think for a lot of people, they just need to spend the potential years developing the strength that they need there um, and working that strict strength for a longer period of time and just being more and more patient with their muscle up development and really just not choosing to attempt <laughs> and fail probably at muscle ups again and again and again. Don't be that guy who like goes up and like attempts it and like keeps trying until they rep their hand and then they come the next session do the same thing don't be that guy right or gal all right let's move on let's talk about developing technique so i think probably the best place for me to start with this is with common issues that i see with technique for both the bar and the ring muscle so the first thing that i see that is wrong so much of the time which screws up everything else is the mount so the mount is where you're starting from. It's how you're actually getting onto the apparatus, whether it's actually how you're getting up onto the rings, how you're jumping up to grab the bar, the mount. So often I see this wrong. So this is actually the biggest one in this entire list is 
you have to know where you are mounting each of the different apparatus, or I guess it's apparati, from. So in other words, you want to start directly under the rings when you jump up to do a ring muscle up. If you are doing chest bar pull-ups or regular pull-ups or anything like that, you're going to start directly under the bar. And that's because you want your momentum going straight up and down. Like you don't want any horizontal swing. Whereas something like a toes to bar, you want to start maybe six inches behind the bar because just a little bit of natural swing helps counter the movement with your legs. With a bar muscle up, you want to start probably 12 or potentially 18 inches behind the bar and jump up into a hollow position from there. And that's something that is extremely helpful. What happens to people all the time is that they jump up to do a bar muscle up. They'll jump up on the bar, kind of like readjust their grip, and then they'll try to like start to get momentum and go into the rep. And that happens all the time. And what's wrong with that is that if you think about the bar muscle up, you're going from underneath the bar to on top of the bar. If you try to go in a straight line, you're going to run into the bar. And that's what happens to a lot of people is obviously they don't necessarily literally run into it where they get their head around it. They get maybe their upper chest around it and you kind of get stuck on the bar. If we can back up, let's just say we jump from a foot behind the bar. You swing underneath or through the plane of the bar where now you have this horizontal momentum and then you're pulling out of your arch position. You're going back in a hollow as you come back behind the bar where you initially started. And then since you're back behind, you go up and around the bar to go on top of the bar. It's not an issue with the rings because the rings, you literally go, you can move the rings around you as you go up with a bar muscle up. You can't move the bar out of the way. So you have to go around the bar. So again, in the mount, the biggest thing is you're starting from behind for the bar muscle up, maybe 12 to 18 inches for the ring muscle up. You're starting directly underneath. The last thing I want to say about the ring muscle up is that you have to understand how to initiate the ring muscle up, where there's really two ways to do it, where you're pulling yourself into a hollow position from the jump, which I find works really well for people who already are pretty good at ring muscle ups. For a lot of people who aren't super proficient or aren't super strong in their upper body, really just not an option for them because it's not enough of a kip on the first rep. What tends to work well for those people is the cast wing. Basically, you jump up hanging from the rings, then you're going to lift your feet up and throw them out in front of you. And that creates this really big initiation to a kip. As soon as you get to hollow, you're going to go on that first rep, let's call it, or that first swing. What I see a lot of the time is people kipping multiple times and then going into rep one versus mount kip up. It needs to be super consistent with this. And that's another thing that I would really want to hammer for a lot of people is that the exact same thing every single time. It is, okay, I start from 12 inches behind the bar. I jump up to hollow. I pull into arch. I push myself behind the plane of the bar and up and over. That's the idea is that it's very consistent, rhythmic. Every single time I do the exact same thing. And that's what actually allows you to learn the movement well. If you're talking about developing technique, it has to be the exact same thing every single rep. Um, which is what we'll get to at the end is that for a lot of people, rep two doesn't look like rep one, and that's a whole different issue. But if we go back to number two, the next thing that I see for a lot of people is that their arms are bending too soon. This goes back to their straight arm pulling strength for a lot of people where they just don't have the strength to do it. 
But for other people, it's just a matter of they don't understand what it's supposed to feel like. So the analogy I use a lot is like, think about if you were going to shut a window of your house and it was like stuck and you were like standing there with your straight arms and you think about like pushing that down as hard as you can, that's what you're doing. You think about slamming a window shut and pushing yourself back behind the plane of the bar. So for the ring muscle up, it's probably a little bit more subtle than that. With the with the bar muscle up, it's certainly that aggressive where you're pushing way back behind the bar and you're doing that for as long as possible. Um, with the ring muscle up, you actually get horizontal as you're pulling up. So as you kip, you'll get into a much more of a hollow position than you will for the bar muscle up. And then you're actually, as you're pulling yourself over to transition, you're actually pulling horizontal to your body. So it's like you're basically floating through air with your feet out in front of you and you're lifting yourself horizontally. If you have no idea what I'm saying, go watch slow motion ring muscle up on YouTube. You'll definitely be able to see that. You'll see that big horizontal row position, especially for a lot of the uh, female athletes, especially at the games level. If we talk about bar muscle up, the thing that's really propelling people through the middle of the movement is besides pushing back behind the bar with their lats and then closing down the joint that way, it's actually pumping the knees. So as you get right to the middle portion of the movement, you're going to pump your knees up. And it's just sort of like a kipping, like a ring dip where you're pulling the knees up and then you're pushing them away. And that aggressive pump of the knees is what actually is propelling you over top of the bar. Um, it gives you a little bit more speed through the middle portion of the movement. Uh, CrossFit Invictus has a really good video out about the knee pump. So I'd go check that out. The thing that you'll see with both the ring and the bar muscle up is that for a lot of people, they aren't aggressive in stopping their feet, which either stopping your feet or like generating momentum with your knees is the same thing. Like both times your lower body stops dramatically. And what happens is that momentum that you created in your lower body will shift up and create a moment of weightlessness for your upper body so you can actually get over top of the rings. And that's the idea is that moment of weightlessness is what allows you to move only your weight of your upper body up and over the apparatus. So that's the biggest thing for that one. Third mistake I see people make a lot, the ring muscle up. They basically don't have any real turnover or the turnover is just like super slow or inefficient or imprecise, let's call it, where it's not exactly where it needs to be. So in the turnover of the ring muscle up, you want to think about pulling like you're doing a strict pull up and then you're basically going to be tracing around your pecs and then bringing your knuckles to your armpits. And if you don't keep the rings in really tight like that, like that's all very close to the midline of your body. If you don't keep those rings tight, as soon as they get away from your body, you get really weak. And that's why like the iron cross and all the advanced gymnastics techniques are away from your body. It's because that demonstrates so much more strength. You want to keep the rings as close to your body as possible and be really precise with your hand and turnover action. And my advice for this would just be watch some of the elite athletes doing ring muscle-ups and pay attention to how quickly their hands move and how quickly they transition over top of the bar. The turnover is so quick. Um, and part of this is because they're not using a false grip or the vast majority of games athletes and high-level athletes are not using a false grip. And that's just because it's more sustainable. They have a bigger kept doing that. It's not necessarily to say that you won't do a false grip while you're learning. That's a whole discussion for a different day. But certainly having that really quick turnover is super necessary if you want to be able to express many reps in the course of a workout while kipping in a neutral grip. And then lastly, this mistake number four is that um, I see people and they don't know how to make the second rep look exactly like the first rep. Um, so we're talking about cycling reps. So for like the ring muscle, what I see a lot of people do is they'll like push back behind a little bit, like let their shoulders fall back behind the rings. 
and then they'll close off their hip a little bit, shut down that joint. And basically this results in them when they get to the bottom, then they get pushed forward. And with all these, it's like a swinging action that takes place. And with the ring muscle up, if you're not offsetting it, where like if your legs are back, your upper body's forward or vice versa, where it's always offset. So you're not actually creating this forward and back momentum. But as soon as you create some of that pendulum effect where you're moving back and forth, it gets super challenging to control. So the solution to that is just staying upright as you're moving through space for the ring muscle up. And for the bar muscle up, and I see a lot of people do the same thing where they push back behind the bar as they go into rep two, and then they often shut down at the hip or bring their legs up a lot, where this creates a lot of forward and backward momentum, where for them, again, it creates this backward momentum as they go down, which means that they end up being so far into the bottom of the rep where they would normally be at their arch that they really don't know how to be patient enough or how to be rhythmic enough, or maybe how to do a glide kip to get back up. So for all my people who are gymnasts out there and you want to you know, convince people to use a glide kip, I don't think that the average person understands the momentum of that and how it's supposed to transfer well. So for those of you who don't know what a glide kip is, don't worry about it. I would say for most people, just thinking about staying upright as you're going down, staying long as you're going into rep two, and then pulling actively into an arch position once you actually get below the bar again is going to what's make that movement pretty sustainable for you and feeling similar to rep one. The idea is not just that it's efficient because for a lot of people, they had such a hard time getting that very first rep that's still not super comfortable where you can just do whatever, where the idea is that they can create consistency from rep one to rep two to rep three, and they all feel the same. That's a big part of it. Um, it's not just about efficiency. It's also about feel for someone who's more of a beginner. That'd be my advice for that. So other little tips or piece of advice, I would say like clean up your movement before you actually put in the Metcons. And again, this seems so obvious, but for a lot of people, they get super excited because they actually have their muscle up and they just want to do Metcons with muscle ups all the time. Likely you had to be disciplined to be able to get your first muscle up and likely you're going to have to be disciplined to be able to get better at your muscle ups, cycling them and then eventually in Metcons. So be patient with it. Uh, my second piece of advice would be don't stop working your strength or any sort of technical progressions um, actually once you have muscle-ups. Cool, you got your muscle-ups. That doesn't mean that you just ditch all of your strength work and all of your progressions and just do muscle-ups all the time. You still have to do that stuff and revisit that. Um, the thing that can be different though is that once you have muscle-ups is that once a skill clicks like that, so I think everyone's probably had a skill where they have couldn't get it for a period of time and then it clicked and they understood how to do it. And it's not anything that we can really explain well in language, but it's something that is very intuitive. Like, oh yeah, that clicked. And then like everything becomes so much easier and like you can figure it out and revisit that so much quicker. Um, that's not to say that you never have it sort of unclick where you have to relearn it. But for a lot of people, once it clicks, it becomes so much easier. And what that means is that you can take that and what that feels like and be able to transfer that to all of your progressions that you've done before. So once you know what a ring muscle up feels like, now that when you're doing you know, a mount drill or a mount to hipster ring drill, you can have that mimic as closely as possible what it feels like to do a ring muscle up. That's the goal is to have it actually transfer better now that you have that skill. All right, and part three, developing capacity. So I want to take us through 
sort of a progression, but there, I guess there'll be, you know, sub progressions because each one's going to have sort of a progression into it. That made no sense. I'm just going to go through this. Um, the first one. So this is going to be where you're basically going to be doing unfatigued skill practice where your breathing and muscular fatigue aren't an issue. Um, then we'll go to number two, which is going to be building volume. So just the total number of reps that you're doing. Then we'll go into building density, which is number three. Um, so in other words, the number of reps that you're doing in a given minute. Four, which is going to be adding it into mixed work um, in some sort of interval format, which could be with complementary or non-complementary movement patterns. Um, so we'll talk about movement interference there. And then five is actually putting it into metcons and testers. So that's sort of the progression that I would have um, athletes go through and where they're at is not just based on their skill level or proficiency. It's also based on where they're at in time of year. So if I have an athlete and they have one or two muscle ups and they're a month away from competition, they still are going to be in competition prep mode and doing mechons and things that probably at some point might involve muscle ups. But certainly that's going to look differently than if we have six months before their next competition. So and it doesn't just about the athlete's ability level or the number of reps they can do. It's also about how far away from competition they are and how much time do I have to dedicate to these different things. I will also say that these don't have to be linear where I just go from um, unfatigued skill practice to the volume progression, to the density progression, then the interval work, then the metcons. It doesn't have to be linear like that. So for example, I might have one day of the week where it is a volume progression, but I have a, might have another day where it's a metcon that's it's thrown into. How's it going to work with your athlete or with yourself? And where are you at in terms of time of year? What do you need to be working on? What qualities do you need to be working on besides muscle-ups? All of that stuff's what's going into that. So that's the art and the science of program design. I don't want to get super into the weeds on it. So we're just going to be going down through these couple. And again, hopefully you can dissect it enough where you can put it in your training and actually have it be useful to you. So unfatigued skill practices, step one of five here. So the first thing, and this could be all your warm-up progressions. So things like scat pull speed kips, slat activations, mount drills, hips to bar. Um, and then you could maybe go into, for example, bar muscle ups where it's eight sets of two. That's eight doubles. Maybe that person has a three or four rep max where they can do a full rest in between. And each of those times they can have a really high quality double. And then maybe they do strict chest to bar of like three sets near failure, like one, two reps in the tank. All right. So that could be as simple as it could be for unfatigued skill practice. And really that might not progress a ton, but each week they might continue to clean up a few things, get a little bit better. One of the things that's really important for this is just getting some of the time in the reps just putting in the time where you can learn more of the nuances of the movement that you need. So let's move into volume. Volume is as simple as it sounds. It's just building the total number of reps that you're doing. Typically, if you're building volume, you're not building density at the exact same time. So in other words, if you're doing more work, you're not doing more of that work in a smaller time frame. Those are competing things. And for a lot of people, they're not going to be able to handle both of those at the same time. So let's start with volume. So like week one, maybe we have this person doing uh, three reps on the minute for eight minutes. So it's an eight minute EMOM, three reps. So that'd be a total of 24 reps in those eight minutes. Week two could be as simple as taking with those three reps on the minute. Now we could do 10 minutes. So it's now going to be 30 reps. And then the next week we could do 12. The next week we could do 14. So we're going 24, 30, 
36, 42 total reps. And I would say this is going to stop depending on the athlete, what they can handle. If their hands are ripping and they just have a lot of joint irritation and they're not able to handle the volume well, obviously you could cap it there and it might be maybe not even to the degree or the total reps that they might see in an open setting, but that might be what they can handle. For an athlete who can handle whatever volume you throw at them, I'd probably stop at what I would call a functional volume. So for example, what do we see in a online qualifier setting? So like an open 20.5, there was 40 ring muscle ups. So 40 ring muscle ups is probably a pretty good spot for functional volume, something like that in the range of maybe 40 or 50 um, for a high level athlete would probably be appropriate. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a single session or a single workout or in a single period of time, but just thinking, starting to think about your contraction volume in the week to a much more detailed degree and starting to track that a little bit closer. Once we've gone through a volume progression, we'd go to something like density. I have three different weeks here. Week one could be if we just stick with the EMOM format. EMOM, 14 minutes of three bar muscle ups on week one. And then we could do an 11 minute EMOM of four bar muscle ups on week two. And then an EMOM of eight minutes of five bar muscle ups on week three. So each week, the total amount of time that you're doing that EMOM is going down, but each minute itself, the density, the number of reps that you're doing each minute goes up. That's a very simple density progression that could look completely differently based on the athlete, but something as simple as that could work for a lot of people. So let's go to number four, which will be interval work. So I'm gonna start off with non-interfering movements. So for example, double unders and bar muscle ups. For the most part, they aren't using the same muscle groups as the prime movers, so it's not going to be highly interfering. Um, that being said, if we have someone who's wildly inefficient at double unders, um, they might use their upper back or grip or whatever way more than they need to, and that might be an issue. But provided someone's moving pretty well and they're still really relaxed and efficient during the double unders, they're pretty non-interfering movements. So we could take something like that. Say it's every 90 seconds for eight sets, they're going to do 40 double unders, and four bar muscle ups. And for a really good athlete, they're gonna be resting probably two to one, where that's only gonna take them maybe 30 seconds, probably less, and then they'll have 60 seconds or so to rest until the next interval. So where you just have to know what kind of athlete you're actually are or who you're programming for. Um, another example would be like every two minutes for five sets would be six ring muscle ups and 12 box jump overs. So and you're probably gonna be resting over double what you're actually working for, could be something where it was like six ring muscle ups and a 30 calorie row. And then the row would sort of almost be a rest time between uh, the ring muscle up sets. There's infinite ways that you could uh, address this. So if we go to interval work, we're actually having interfering movements. Um, the ring muscle up row example actually just gave you what worked. But something like every 90 seconds for seven sets, doing four hang power cleans, which will be very taxing on the grip, upper back, uh, biceps at 65%, and then four strict handstand push-ups, which is going to get triceps, shoulders, which is really necessary for you to actually be able to press, and then four ring muscle-ups. So four hang power clean, four strict handstand push-up, four ring muscle-up every 90 seconds for seven sets. Those would be really quick transitions, and it's going to be a relatively short rest for each one of those. We could do something where it's like four rounds, we're resting one minute between, which is just another way to write this interval style work. It could be something like a 25 foot handstand walk, 15 calorie ski, and seven ring muscle ups. And if I don't know an athlete super well, or if I don't know how long a piece is going to take me, if I'm programming for myself or you're programming for yourself, then putting that rest between the workouts rather than like every 60 seconds, every 90 seconds, every two minutes. 
So that's just another way to do it. It would be four rounds with one minute rest between. So then lastly, if we go to Metcons, um, where we're giving athletes testers, let's call it just little open style workouts might even be an open workout like this one AMRAP for 10 minutes, 10 power snatches, 75, 55 and three bar muscle ups, which was an open workout, relatively small sets. And they're just moving back and forth at a really rapid rate. And just be able to do that for 10 minutes where your breathing's elevated the entire time, where your grip gets more and more tired, where your shoulders are getting blown up. All these things that are really going to be the challenging aspect of the sport. That's what you need um, to actually build the capacity. So that's how I would go about developing capacity for muscle ups if we're talking about programming for them. Yeah. So I really hope this was helpful on your journey to developing muscle ups. Hey, it's Ben again. And I want to take a minute to talk about our online training program, The Protocol. The Protocol is for athletes who want to train for the sport of fitness. It's programmed by me, and it's my best attempt at preparing athletes with varying strengths and weaknesses for the demands of the sport. And I do this through the use of silos, which basically means I segment parts of the program based upon athletes' ability in a particular area. So for example, an element of the program this fall on Tuesdays and Thursdays was gymnastics-focused training. And there are four different silos, so athletes could choose to work on chest bars or muscle-ups or handstand push-ups or handstand walks. In other words, we are all doing the same core program, but there are ways to individualize it on a weekly basis. And as part of the program, I also include coaches' notes, technique videos, and educational resources almost daily. My goal is to not just have this feel like you're doing a workout plan, but to feel like I'm actually coaching you through the process of becoming the best athlete you can be. And having access to the protocol is just part of the benefit of being a pro member. You also get instant access to the vault, which is exactly like it sounds. It means that you unlock the ability to be able to download all the programs that I've ever written. So this includes things like Bulletproof Body, which is the accessory work for functional fitness, gymnastics density for the big five, functional thickness, your first muscle up, cyclical supremacy, overhead squat mobility, breath work for the support of fitness, and it could go on and on. And lastly, you get instant access to pro articles, which are on topics that I really want to safeguard from the public and keep for my athletes. Stuff like cycle speeds for CrossFit open movements, strength ratio data analysis, so basically determining your relative weaknesses on strength work, breaking down sanctionals programming or games programming, energy systems testing and analysis, and a whole lot more. And if this sounds like stuff that you're into, you can get a seven-day free trial of Pro. Simply head over to zorfitness.com slash pro. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay the course.